I had the strangest dream last night. I dreamt I was out on one of my ramblings and stumbled upon what I thought was a rabbit hole. As I bent down, I realised the bracken covered a much larger area and it was indeed an uncovered well. By chance, I'd a penny in my pocket I'd picked up that day for luck, so threw it in to make a wish. Instead of hearing a far-off splash, the penny landed on something which made a kind of twang and a voice I instantly recognised started singing. Hugh, is that you? What on earth are you doing down there, looking for leaks? It was indeed Hugh Williams, trapped as if in a spell in the well where he fell. Don't worry, we'll find a way of getting you out, I said rather hopelessly, as there wasn't a bucket or rope in sight. As I looked up, I noticed we were by the water pump on Cromwell Hill, a stone's thrown away from the beautiful Blue Boar Hotel in Malden, where we'd had such lovely Mac Theatre nights in the baronial long room above the bar, and of which Hugh had very much been a part of. As you're a bit stuck inside for a while, how would you like to be a guest in my next podcast? And that's how we came about to invite Hugh Williams to sit in the rocking chair. So please forgive the sound quality on this, as we were without a mic and connection wasn't great as it was such a long way away. What a load of Skype, I hear you say. And you wouldn't be far wrong. here and thank you so much for um, being a kind of floating torso in my head in my kitchen which is really quite bizarre but it's bizarre times that we're kind of living in at the moment isn't it and um, part part of doing this project um, I'm in completely new territory for me and um, it, I'm enjoying it very much and I'm very excited about um, uh, chatting to you and hearing what what you have for us today. Um, as I sort of explained to you before, it started with the concept of I have this old rocking chair and thinking just to sit, inviting guests to sit in the seat with me and talk um, about their creative life, really, and where, where that might lead. Um, but I don't know if you have, just as a fun thing, um, a favourite seat or what chair would you imagine the chair that you would be most comfortable in um, to reflect on life in the universe? <laughs> Probably the only time I get really comfortable is when I'm lying down on a kind of a sofa. Ah. But um, my memory of chairs kind of vary. So there was the chair that I used to use when I nursed Bethan. Bethan, my daughter, and I got up in the night to feed her because I, 
we kind of, um, my wife went to work, I stayed at home. So, but I would get up in the night knowing that I didn't have to be up early, but she did. And I'd sit in this chair. And I don't know why I used the same chair, but I, and uh, mm. we were staying at my wife's mother's house at the time. Mm-hmm. Always sat in the same chair to feed her. Uh-huh. One of my memories is sat in the chair, feeding her with these little bottles. She was a newborn baby. And watching High Anxiety, Mel Brooks. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I would um, watch a bit of the film and feed Beth. And it was a kind of an upright chair with wooden arms. And the other memory I have of a chair is a, is a small two-seater settee. Mm-hmm. Again, with wooden uh, arms. In Tony's house. And in Tony's uh, front room, in his parents' house. Mm-hmm. So this is when we first met. Tony yeah. was a person I toured with regularly, called Hugh and Tony Williams, because we couldn't think of a better name. We were both Williamses. Yeah. And when we were kids, we used to go around his house. He had the most horrendous temper with inanimate objects. Calm as you like with people. I remember him sat in this settee, and anything could explode at any point. And he was in the set, he lying down, and he couldn't get comfortable. And he couldn't get comfortable, oh. and he still couldn't get comfortable. And got so annoyed, he started to punch at this set, and then slowly tear it apart. And this is absolutely true. And I just sat there and watched him do it. The whole thing took less than a minute. He <laughs> stood there, looking rather slightly disgusted with himself. Said, oh, I suppose i better throw this out now. But that's my other memory of a chair. How is it that anyone can destroy a chair in under a minute? But he did it. He did it. <laughs> it's something we laugh about. He must have been about 15, and I remind him of it, and we both laugh about it, as did we did then. I love, I, I've got a great image of you just standing there watching the whole process in a kind of amazement. Just watching the television, thinking. What programme is this? Is this called Ripping Up Satie? <laughs> so, um, you know, being musicians, don't they usually throw the telly out the window, not um, not tear their chair out that they want to sit in? <laughs> yeah, but I would never throw a telly out the window. I love it too much. Yeah. I'm a television person, even since mm-hmm. I was young. Fascinated by television, by the media. Um, a great educational tool as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I've learnt of mm-hmm. serious issues have uh, been through television. I don't trust everything I watch, but there's when things arrive at television, they've usually been researched pretty well, and then you mm-hmm. have to trust, you know, the, the, the presenter or the producer. Mm-hmm. But at that time as well, um, you're talking about the kind of reporting, you know, how do you think that is compared to now? Um, because there was a kind of standard of... Um, uh, journalism and reporting that went out in, I, I presume you're meaning, what, 70s to 80s? That... The 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. It's, there will still be things that reflect the time. So, for example, in the 60s and 70s, any, anything but the Queen was marvellous, you know. Um, the, uh, I remember, it, was it in the 50s, Harold Macmillan um, doing an interview um, when he was Prime Minister? Late mm-hmm. 50 on the television. It was nothing like, mm-hmm. nothing like uh, an interview. Mm-hmm. I think he, he directed the thing because he mm-hmm. was the prime minister and he was held in high regard. You wouldn't do that now. Mm-hmm. The first thing you think of now is, right, here's Boris Johnson. Now, how, how can I have a go at him first? 
So in that sense, um, both television then as a medium, you know, um, it, it has become, that's progressed or developed into a different kind of realm, hasn't it? And equally, society ha it seems to be much more openly opinionated, maybe, I don't know if that's the right word, about, um, you know, every, every issue, actually. <laughs> Every issue. The problem is there are too many people opinionated on things they know nothing about. At least I try to check. The recent film, The Imitation Game, you know, which then gets showed on television, is yeah. uh, how true is that? Hardly at all, I think. And then people mm. get influenced by television, and that's what you have to be careful of. In when mm. I was young, you just took everything as read. You just thought, well, that's yeah. history. And people miss so film drama for history. And it's not yeah. history, it's a drama. No, exactly. It's a creative interpretation of perhaps true facts, you know, and then made into a, a, a new piece. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a difficulty with that, as obviously um, coming from a theatre and acting background, um, uh, with people in long-term series have the same difficulty where people think they are their character so if they happen to be recognized they are treated as if they are that character within a teleseries when and that can cause great difficulty so how much with your love of television as a uh, informative medium like that how much did that influence your own writing and your songs you know, did it inspire... Yeah, news reports. I remember seeing the news report about the children in Rio who were street mm. children. Mm. And the news report there about um, these street children and they just wanted them off the streets, basically, because these children had no homes, mm -hmm. they had no parents, they were street mm -hmm. children. And sometimes they would mm -hmm. live in the sewers. And there was news reports that they were beginning, um, that there, there was some authority somewhere beginning to shoot them just to get them out the way, which I thought obviously completely shocking now. Mm. Uh, but I did write a song mm -hmm. in the style of a bossa nova to lead, mm -hmm. lead, lead people into a false sense of security, and then the words are quite hard. Then I did another one about um, the homeless called Some People Cry. Mm -hmm. Very mm -hmm. simple song, but that came from a news report mm -hmm. uh, about people, you know, just in the streets. Uh, when suddenly the rules had changed and um, they couldn't get any benefits of any sort and they mm -hmm. on the streets. Although much of the, the thing about the homeless, you know, is, um, is more complicated than people think. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, um, it could be anything. So when I, my father took me twice, I think, to see the film Zulu, when in the days when you could not a film like that on television if it turned up on television it was an occasion so mm -hmm. Zulu would come out in the cinema and then perhaps four years later it would be back in the cinema and i remember and i i a fantastic film and mm -hmm. a great cheering moment for a father and son i think but when you're older you start to think yeah hang on so what's the truth behind that then the story about the whole thing what were they doing there in the first place and then mm -hmm. it leads you into books mm -hmm. and from film I read the book The Washing of the Spears by Donald R. Morris, History of the Zulu Nation. Yeah. Yeah. So you see, you can television sometimes is a start. I must say that the other stuff I watched growing up, mm -hmm. really, which I loved, 
for entertainment is later on in life the documentaries I, I loved. Yes. I was unusual. I remember when I was 12 years of age, on a Sunday morning, there would be the documentary about the First World War. Uh-huh. It made in 1964, it was black and white, and I'd watch that in the morning. Then in the evening, wow. I would watch The World at War, which was an yeah. ITV series. So, yeah. but these were, these were interesting. And I didn't realize I was particularly interested. I just thought, well, this is something everyone does, isn't it? Yeah. But then, of course, what I'm not mentioning is the other stuff I watched, which I thought was fantastic, which was The Saint uh-huh. with Roger Moore, The Avengers, Man yeah. in a Suitcase. I loved all that yeah. stuff. And The Persuaders, fantastic. Yeah, Difficult to watch now. And it's it, because, you know, they, they don't stand the test of time, really. It's difficult to explain to younger people, look, at the time, you might be on your edge of your seat for watching these yeah. things. Believe yeah. they were real or something, but I loved all that stuff. And then the kids' programs, um, you know, I remember one which you can't see anymore, and apparently it wasn't successful and only stayed for one series. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was fantastic. I mean, my sister used to watch it. It was a program called Adventure Weekly. Oh, I don't know about a group of young kids mm-hmm. who find who find an old house and it's got a printer mm-hmm. in it. So they bring out a newspaper. And if they don't have an adventure and catch criminals, they've got nothing to put in the <laughs> Usual kid stuff. They would then go and sell it in town and they would outsell the Daily Mirror and uh, whatever. <laughs> there were always um, books or all the kids seemed to um, be getting involved in some sort of, yeah, crime or detective work or things. I, I You know, from the Secret Seven to Nancy Drew to... You know, that always fascinated me, the unravelling of um, those pesky kids that got everywhere <laughs> and sorted everything out. But then I still think, you know, young people have got that kind of um, opportunity today. You know, I'll get on to that later about, you know, how they can lead a creative life in, at the moment and how how that is differs from now, really. But with your... Um, inspired so you know there was radio and television and uh, you could get informed about anything really um through the programs um that led you to the books or the books led you to the films um so those pieces those creative pieces were inspiring your own um input and all quite story based by the sound of thing be it factual or fictional would you say, or I didn't write songs with a story where there's a beginning, middle, and end. I remember Jake Thackeray, a great performer, mm-hmm. he used to say, mm-hmm. I love a song with a good story. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to say to him, Do you know, I don't. I mm-hmm. don't like songs with stories. And they, they, I, I mean, there would be exceptions, and I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. into a story, really. Um, what I like about songs, and I don't say I always do this, and I'm sure mm-hmm. there is a song. I've written mm-hmm. the story, um, but it, it alludes to the story. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say about a man, I'm walking down the road, then I met this person, then this happened to me, then, that, you know, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. But what I like about is, um, I think it might have been Paul Simon that might have said this. I like a song gets you emotionally mm-hmm. or gets you somehow. It gets mm-hmm. you or gets you intrigued. You don't really know what it's about. 
Mm. You don't know what that song is about until you've heard it 15 times. And yes. you, so every time someone goes back to the song, they learn a bit more. Mm-hmm. And they learn a bit more. And the time when this happened, are what started my whole musical career. I, this is how it started with me. I was brought mm. up in South Wales Valleys, a uh, working class community. So everything was working class club comedians, that type of world. And mm-hmm. I'm fine, you know, wasn't my sort of thing. That caused me problems later on in my life. But people would would mm-hmm. be listening to T-Rex or Slade, and, and they were great bands. Pop music was all right. I just thought, and that's it. And then one day, I was in my mother's kitchen, so I'd be about 12, 13, maybe 12, and this song came on the radio. And it was a man playing what I called then an ordinary guitar. It wasn't plugged mm-hmm. in. It was an ordinary guitar. Of course, uh, it's an acoustic guitar. I didn't know that at the time. And he was playing this ordinary guitar, this acoustic guitar, <laughs> and started to sing, and it stopped me in my tracks. I thought, good grief, what is that? And it was Don McLean singing Vincent. <laughs> yeah. Starry, starry night. So he had just got in the charts. And I would say to people, I've heard that song. Starry, starry night. And they might say to me, well, what is it about? I said, well, let me tell mm. you and then I thought, actually, I don't know what it's about. I know what it's about, but I don't know what it's about. Starry, starry night. Paint your palette blue and grey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's bit by bit. It gets fed through. Mm-hmm. And then you think, right, then you hear, oh, it's about Van Gogh, the painter. Oh, it is. It's not what it's about. Mm-hmm. But I've already connected with it. So you don't give everything away You to me. And I like songs that appear not to mean anything until you listen to it again. So if you take uh, some of James Taylor's songs, you think, yeah, what is he actually singing about? Well, what is that? Yeah, I'm going to songs that stop you in your track and you're right you can't always pinpoint what it was um whether it was the melody or whether it was a lyric or or the combination of both but there is there is this indefinable thing that just goes and it's that connection isn't it it's that absolute connection and i i guess that is the um thing that is it the thing that you're always aiming for when you're writing the song or does the song lead you or, you know? I, it, it can happen in many ways. Really, I'm a tune person. Um, I love a good tune. I've got to have a good tune. If mm-hmm. I have a good tune, then I have to make sure the chords, all the chords I've got to the good tune is correct. What is a good tune, of course, is, is a mm-hmm. taste, isn't it? There are some fast, fantastic tunes I'm sure mm-hmm. I don't get. And mm-hmm. there are some good, t- like uh, Russ Conway, the pianist from the late 50s, early mm-hmm. 60s, wrote good tunes. Yes. And Elvis Costello could write a good tune. The Beatles mm-hmm. wrote good tunes. So I've got to have a tune first. Then the arrangement. Then comes third for me is the lyrics. But mm-hmm. And if you try and get them right at all. Um, so do you write them separately there, as you said, or, or does it is the whole thing happening uh, but you will always go through the music first and get that structure, right? Sometimes it might come in as an idea. I've yeah. got an idea for a song. What chords would this kind of be for this idea? I think this is going to be a slow song. So then I go to the guitar, and sometimes I can't. I go to the guitar and I start just singing nonsense. Yeah. Da, da, 
do da dum dee day and sometimes they've got words that don't make any sense you know i'm walking down the road and there's um on my hand is a piece of paper and there's rain falling through the ceiling it doesn't make any sense and yeah. then i think, right i've got this tune now let's get these lyrics to make mm. sense and that is what's important to me in fact sometimes i think i can't half like some real rubbish because it's got a great tune and it's a good arrangement and then people say yeah but what's what are they singing about i said oh i don't care oh, do i care and then sometimes when you dis when you like a song and you suddenly discover what it's about because someone's told you about the lyrics you think brief that's even better i always used to like the song give me hope joanna what a great song and then i thought mm -hmm. wait a minute this is about apartheid fantastic mm -hmm. and what a way to sing mm -hmm. simply the song has improved no end mm -hmm. i also like that rather sarcastic one which was sung in woodstock you know one two three what are we finding for yeah. <laughs> well, we were all I love stuff, but it's a good tune. Yes, yes. Which is why I have these discussions about people, about Bob Dylan. And oh. people think I like Bob Dylan. And Bob Dylan, to me, is just absolute shite. <laughs> Bob Dylan, I'll say that again in case you want to cut. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I can't agree with you, but... <laughs> I, I, what I... a load of complete tosh. Mm. I mean, now, of course, I'm saying this, but I'm kind of speaking semi-emotionally because... <laughs> semi-emotionally? I don't know. You haven't got any sofas to rip up nearby, have you? <laughs> I understand that he can't be tosh because there's so many people who like him. Because, yeah. for example, I love Bach, Mozart. Yeah. I adore Mozart. Mm. Not so keen on Beethoven, to be honest. Write some of his pieces, but... I'm not going to say Beethoven's tosh. Oh, no, no, you're certainly not in my company. <laughs> I would say, um, and if someone said, oh, Beethoven, he's fantastic, I'd say, oh, fair enough, can understand that. Bob Dylan is slightly okay. more difficult. Okay, what's the arrangement like? Well, not very good, he's just strumming the guitar. This is his <laughs> early stuff to start with. <laughs> nope, um, don't get it. And then people will say to me, yeah, but what about his lyrics? Okay, well then you've got half a song. Walking down the street with a no, walking down the road with a suitcase in my hand. Mm. Well, I can't remember ever walking down the road with a suitcase in my hand, <laughs> and and if I was, I was probably going to somewhere that I didn't want to go to anyway. Mm. And uh, you know, is uh, how and then when when sometimes in art, in the arts, yeah. right, mm. in the art, we ask the questions. You know, mm. why do we fight? Why is there war? Why do people mm -hmm. hate each other? Mm -hmm. We ask questions. Well, do you know what? I'm 61 now. I want some answers. Winnie Rose must have one walk down mm -hmm. before we call him a man. I don't know, 12, 23, <laughs> perhaps it's only six. Don't find out. Can you imagine? I do. Can you imagine, the, you know, people in NATO or, or countries sat around a table saying, well, come on now, we've got to reduce the arms, you know? Mm -hmm. What's mm -hmm. the answer? And someone saying, oh, don't know, blowing in the wind. Gosh. <laughs> now, the only exception to this mm -hmm. is when Adele recorded Make You Feel My Love. 
Mm-hmm. Which is Bob Dylan's song, isn't it? Mm. It is, and it's mm. a beautiful song. Mm. So what you said about melody maybe doesn't relate to that one, does it? Or... Well, I think it's a great tune. Yeah. It's, and on the piano, it sounds fantastic. Now, when Bob Dylan sang it, maybe I couldn't hear it. Sometimes mm. people reinterpret songs. Yes. Uh, um, Bob Dylan, I also believe, he tends to be really liked a lot by people who are not really into music. What you're, I think you're kind of saying is that music, you know, what appeals or what some people think are good songs and some people don't, it, it, it's a, pr- a, a personal preference, um, perhaps. Although, you know, being a musician and what you said about structuring a song, both musically and lyrically, there is a process, there are techniques involved. Um, if you discover them or know them, it depends which way you come at it. But there can be songs you don't like that you have to admit are good, you know, good songs in the in the way they are sometimes, you know. I think but, um, I would have to say that about Bob Dylan. He's just mm-hmm. popular, but he's just lost on me. That's what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah, it didn't resonate, didn't resonate I with presume, you. I presume, you know, um, Tambourine Man, I mm-hmm. presume is a good tune, I suppose. Um, and that that's an amazing thing to do to make something like that, and particularly a song that is this short, condensed pace. You know, I, I marvel at it, and um, and especially what you were saying about um, the tunes being important, because I do think that if your sound is what stops you in your tracks, you know, and if it doesn't like you, if it doesn't, the melody is so important in a song and often neglected, sadly, nowadays. But with your roots, as you said, in the um, South Wales valleys, um, presumably you were exposed to, you know, um, melody quite a lot um, through different ways. But I've, I've always think, you know, y- your songs all, to me, have very strong um, beautiful melodies, you know, before we add the the the, the lyrics and um, you know, if they're up tempo they're catchy and if they're ballads they're they are moving. Um but as you said, there's a lot of crafts craftsmanship goes into that underneath, as you said, sorting the chords and stretch. Yeah, that's very kind. The only thing is course, course, I, <laughs> I have written some tosh myself, generally because I've been carried away with the tune. And never found good enough lyrics, and I've ignored the lyrics and just gone on. I think in recent years, if I do write now, and I don't do it that often, that it has to be honest. Um, there are some songs I find difficult to sing now because I think they're twee, I think they're corny, and I really uh, find difficult to sing. And these are some of the songs that get requested yes. a lot. And yeah. in my shows, I leave it to the end. I just, because i always scared I leave songs out people want to hear. So at the end mm. of the night, I usually say, have I left anything out? You know, because people will come up to me and say, oh, you didn't sing this, you didn't sing that. So I say to the audience, right, well, look, I'll do one more. What do you want to hear? And it'll be one of those tweet songs that I'm going to have to sing. And sometimes it's not uh, because someone else has shouted louder, you know. And yet, if that song is popular, it's obviously popular with people, then um, you have to give it that 
you know, you've moved on as maybe as an artist, a writer, but that song's obviously earned its place if it's being requested. Do, do you give it that respect and do you do it whatever, but you don't enjoy doing it? No, I, I mean, I should do, but I had this discussion recently with someone from a local folk club. He said, you haven't sang that song for a while. I won't say what it was. No, no, I won't ask. I won't ask you either. <laughs> I sang for ages. I said, I can't. He said, you haven't sang that other one. Have you? I said, I know, because they're shite. <laughs> said, but I'm on. It's very popular. There's loads of cover versions of it, and people people love it. I said, yeah. That's all that proves is that people like shite. <laughs> You're making me laugh because one of, one of the questions on my crib sheet um, is, are you your own harshest critic? And I think because you've just sat there and said your songs are shite, I think probably you've just answered that for me. about sharing something with us? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll do this one. We spoke about my daughter. Now... And speaking of keeping the music going as well, which I know, you know, that's wonderful that, you know, she's also has that talent and ability and, you know, obviously has been exposed to music and uh, very much in her own right which is, yeah, wonderful, wonderful um, thing to move forward, you know, with. And I um, never encouraged it. I never, yeah. taught her, I never taught her to play anything, never yeah. did anything, never encouraged it. Um, yeah. I just wanted her to get some sensible job of some sort that was going to give her a career and give her money. Um, <laughs> if she wanted to do music, she'd find it herself. Bethan was a baby, you put her to bed, she'd go to sleep and she'd wake up at seven. Mm. And if you told her to do something, she did, she, that's what she did. Yeah. And if she um, what, sat down and you gave her something to amuse herself with, she amused herself with it. Mm. I mean, it was uncanny mm. that um, she was, I suppose people would call, would have called her a good baby, although I don't mm -hmm. quite know what that is. Mm. And it was uncanny how good yeah. she was, uncanny. And I remember once we went to, um, uh, me and my wife were playing in the same band on one ah. particular night. So we had to get a babysitter. Uh -huh. um, the wife of the fiddle player, who was also in the band, said, well, bring her around my house. Mm -hmm. She my house. So she babysat Beth mm -hmm. and Ford. We went into the gig, came back. When we came back, she opened the door and she just said to both of us, you don't know you're born. Amused herself all night. And I uh. remember Tony saying to me, because Tony, my musical partner, he had two children. Mm -hmm. And he used to say to people, don't ask you what it's like to have kids. You haven't got a clue. <laughs> She's exceptional. It does sound like... I'm canny. I remember the health visitor coming to the house and she said, Are you always real? Is it always oh. this relaxed here? I said, well, what do you mean? This is just the way things are. I, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then um, I wrote to Tony Williams had written this song. Mm -hmm. Well, he had written a tune. Mm -hmm. And um, 
he couldn't do anything with it. He never wrote songs, really, very rare. So I said, well, I'll do the lyrics to that. And it was about a newborn baby. And oh. getting up in the night and crying, it was called We Stayed Awake. And I played it to Tony. I said, I've got lyrics. It's called We Stayed Awake. Mm. And um, I played it to him. And it's, uh, it's been about up in the morning and up in the night with a mm -hmm. newborn baby. And after I'd finished and played it, I played the last chord. There was a pause and Tony said, now you're taking the piss. <laughs> um, but there was a time when I did nurse her for three mm. days when she thought we had this flu going around. Yeah. So, and really, that's when I'm relating to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then she becomes a teenager and it's completely different. Mm -hmm. It's And it's really difficult to explain a teenage girl. I think... Those who have had experience of a teenage girl, not all of all of them, but some mm. people who have experience of a teenage daughter might be familiar with the phrase, what a nightmare. <laughs> it's difficult to, to explain. Suddenly I find myself saying things like, what did I say? Did I mm. say something then? What did I do then? Did I do what? What have I done? Yeah. And yeah. then, um, I, do you know, recently I've never seen I, I, when it came out first, I never saw the film The Exorcist. I never oh, no. saw it. Yeah. So I thought, oh, do you know, I watched, so a couple <laughs> years ago, I watched it. And this girl sat up in bed with her head spinning round, vomiting pea soup and saying things like, <laughs> you will all die. And uh, for me, it just brought back memory. That... <laughs> So this is one I done whilst in lockdown and I wrote this tune years ago and I never did anything with it. And then I changed the chords that were around the tune recently and it came back into my head. My Now, what I've got now is probably, because um, they come out of it at the other end, I now have the best daughter in the world, which is lucky. It's not the best daughter in the world. You think, yeah. wow, they're fantastic. Yeah. I'm lucky for the best author in the world. Then you think to yourself, wait a minute, no, that's just evolution. Oh. That's Mother Nature giving you the impression you got the best author in the world <laughs> because um, you will then look after it and yeah. the human race will continue. She'll oh. be the best. And then I realized <laughs> another day, I realized I thought, no, it's not. I have actually got the best author in the world. <laughs> but this is. Um, See what you think. So no one's ever heard this song. You're the first person to hear it um, on broadcasting. So, and also, again, I'd like it to be realistic as close as I want it to be realistic. But uh, see what you think. Dark leaves and plastics, dance. 
with your party puns. But now boys are cool and bad hair, a disaster. They tease the children who grow old too soon. Knew you when you were teething. Know you now, It's just another chapter of father and child. To you, I'm just your old man. No good as it's. I guess you must have grown. But we didn't know this way. And time will just fly. It's up to you how you spend it. Fixing your bike doesn't seem that long ago. And if you get a broken heart, you can't bring it to me to lend But all you have to do is hold on, cause I won't let you go. You give me the Around. You give me the tales. I'd give you the more if I could pack it away. And I can't guarantee I know what roads lay but I can throw out that pizza that's still under your bed. Bring on the day, bring on the morning, one breath at a time, that'll get you through, and I know I drive you crazy, but I won't stop talking, we laugh at the things I think I know. But I don't have a clue. Knew you when you were teething. Know you now. It's just another chapter of father and child. And I don't know anything about the world that you see. You get your brains from your mother and your temper from
Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to clap, <laughs> even if it's just me. <laughs> I'm not sure if interviewers are meant to do that. That's beautiful. <laughs> I think everything that you just said about um, songs right from the beginning, about um, moving you, having strong melodies, um, the lyric and what meaning you've 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 just you've just done it we didn't need to say all that you just needed to do that <laughs> that is well also because I, I mean I, I wrote another one about my mother called mother's day mm. and i try to make that honest because you know on social media you get these really corny poems and, and that's fair enough i love my mother and she's lovely well really all the time was that what your mother was like because <laughs> loving someone Mm. is having to say no mm. that's when you love someone mm. even from when you're a kid no mm. you can't have any more sweets mm -hmm. uh, no eat your dinner first then you can have your pudding mm -hmm. and then it goes into sorry you're going out looking like that <laughs> and then it's things like look I understand young boys I was one myself mm. so how do you want to do it do you want me to tell you what to do or would you like me to kick your ass first? <laughs> that is love. Yeah, tough love. Tough love. And of course, remember to love them. That goes without saying. That's mm. easy. Mm. Loving someone in that way is easy when you mm. love them. But mm. it's not easy mm. to love someone enough to say, mm. no, you're not doing that. Yeah, you have to be truthful and you have to say where your limits are, uh, particularly as a parent. I thought what is also really lovely about that song and also the one that I know of yours, We Stayed Awake, which, which you know, I'm more familiar with. And A, feel really privileged to have heard that first time completely, um, is that it is a song from a father's point of view, which we don't often hear, you know, and um, particularly fathers and daughters, and and you've just you've got your song, the one that I know that uh, that you do your, with your mother, your Mother's Day song as well. It's so nice to hear that from um, a male perspective. But that's a beautiful song. That's a lovely song, and I love that change that the the develop the musical development where it went unexpectedly, you know. Um, up through that last phrase really. again what i because originally that was a melody line i wrote years ago and the chords were quite straight but the yeah. way I, I it's because i was in lockdown i was yeah. just fiddling with these chords and yeah. i did steve tilston sing a song and i thought god that's a nice style he did a concert i, I was always a big steve tilston fan yes. when i was young before i could play the guitar uh which probably makes him feel very old <laughs> <laughs> But he, and he's a marvellous performer, a marvellous singer. And I thought, oh, and then when I was trying to copy the style he was doing, mm -hmm. which turned out not to be that in the end, mm. but those lyrics and that tune came back into my head. And then, and I only had one verse and then I wrote the rest of it. In fact, the verse I had, I even changed. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, what other chords are they? Because mm. that's the difference. A chord can bring something out. I don't mm. want to bore you with this. No, no, no. Put it in. Cut this bit out if you want. So when I did mm. this song, what I'm looking for are things that are interesting. Mm. So, And this is what I like about, uh, maybe I should do someone else's song. And... Good. So there's a rundown here. Then he 
got this, which I like. Then it goes mm -hmm. to a D7. You can just play mm -hmm. a D7. Mm -hmm. Or play D. Lovely. But I don't. I play a D7 with an F sharp in the bass. Then then really you can go to F next. I don't do F. So it goes there and I do this chord. That's the one. Okay. Instead of now little uh, things I just find interesting. If other yes. people do that's fine, but what I find things um with that is people will like the song more, but they don't know why. Whereas a musician will be able to tell them maybe why. And yeah, I mean, that's just me doing that. But I mean, yeah. the, the, the better stuff, the greatest stuff is particularly some of those old songs. Yeah. Uh, I remember listening to um, someone said to me, can you play Edelweiss? So mm -hmm. I said, yeah, I can bust that. So I busted it. And when I looked at the actual chords, no, no, it's not quite as simple as you think. Or yeah. Moon River. Oh, Moon River. Both of those songs are, you know, gorgeous melodies and timeless, won't they? They're timeless. They travel through uh, decades in that way. You know, I think that's um, a real skill to have, you know, a song that will, will do that, you know, or that crops up again and again and again. You have to go, why? Why Why is it cropping up? No, that, that's, that's fantastic. That's really, you know... Um, Lovely to hear. That's how I just look at things. What I'm mm -hmm. saying, I'm not saying this is the way to do it the right. That's how I no, look no, no, at no. it. Other yeah. people will do things completely differently, and that's fair enough. And if I sometimes talk to people, I tell them what I really love. Mm -hmm. Not just what you think about anything. I love being wrong about something. I just love I love it. Because when <laughs> you're wrong about something, you've learned something. Yes. And I yes. remember having a musical argument once with someone um, in a local folk dance group that I play for. She played uh -huh. fiddle. And uh -huh. we had this argument going for a week. It must have lasted about six weeks. And on, on about the sixth week, I suddenly realised she was right. <laughs> you know what? You are actually right. What um, you're saying makes sense. But then I'd learned something. Yes. I love Yeah. Wrestling with it. Well, at least you admit it. Not everybody admits it. <laughs> don't bother no, me. I don't no. And if I'm not sure, I'll say, right, well, give me a uh, chance to think about that. Yeah, yeah. But it's fantastic to so, be wrong. Yeah. You learned... mm. And you, you touched on there, just backpedalling a little bit, that um, lockdown's been quite good for like those those tunes and things that, old melodies or old bits of lyrics have you have you found that you've been quite productive in that way um or it, have you had the space maybe and the time for those things to to happen has it been a positive thing is what i'm trying to say in amongst all the <laughs> craziness i pick up and play guitar without thinking yeah and i'm thinking to myself oh it's lockdowns all right now not bad lockdown yeah. what i forget is i can play a musical instrument Yes. And this, I have done stuff I've mm -hmm. never had time to do before. I've never bothered to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big fan of songs from the shows, mm -hmm. particularly the old ones, because I love the chord structures. Mm -hmm. um, I love, you know, the chords you play, the music behind them. I just love that. Many of these musicals you couldn't do now. Mm -hmm. They would be we now. 
They'd be outdated now. So a show like Oklahoma, Rogers and Hammerstein, was revolutionary. At oh, the time. Yeah, yeah, Not now, but you have to put it in context, mm. you know. And I love some of the, oh, the fantastic. Mm. And then uh, Irving Berlin. I've been learning their songs. Yes. I've just been learning those songs. And sometimes I've stuck it on Facebook because I think, well, I might forget yeah. these next yeah, but also it's it's great to share them like that if you know because then you know it ripples, doesn't it? When you enjoy it and then you pass it on, it um, um, you have no idea where that song's going to land that day and um, the effect it's going to have. You know, it's a powerful thing. So, um, do you want to give us one of those now? I know we haven't had it. <laughs> Which one shall I do? I've learned so many. So, shall I do Irving Berlin then, is it? Please. Okay. Yes. I might go wrong here, but never mind. I've only just learned it. Heaven. I'm in heaven. And my heart beats so that I cannot and I seem to find the happiness I see when we're out together dancing cheek to cheek. Heaven, I'm in the heaven. And the cares that have around me through the week seem to vanish like a gambler's lucky streak. When we're out together dancing, cheek to cheek. Oh, I love to climb a mountain. And reach the highest peak, but it doesn't thrill me half as much as dancing cheek to cheek. Oh, I love to go out fishing in a river or a creek, but I don't enjoy it half as much as dancing cheek to cheek. Dance with me, I want to put my arms about you, the charm about you, will carry me through to heaven, I'm in the heaven, and my heart beats so that I song and i love that the rhythm that you gave it the i don't know what it was <laughs> but the you you know you but i love 
the the setting that you put that in that worked really beautifully because that you know you you hear that song or when you first hear it I know it from the film um and uh it's the high romance and the orchestra and everything and then you can take that and you can put it on an ordinary guitar <laughs> um and it works just as magically beautiful that's really lovely that's when i like things best when mm. they've been cut down sometimes the big orchestral stuff you think oh, that's quite a nice song but when it's kept yeah. down i think yeah uh, i've always liked that things that yes. are kept down um but um you need a song that you can put a rhythm to some you can't because no. it's it's you need a piano because it's flowing if yeah. you can grab something you're okay i mean and you can get guitars who can do the other thing but mm. I, i'm thinking you know that's uh, that's got mm -hmm. some that's got some rhythm, and if mm -hmm. something's got rhythm, mm -hmm. then a guitar to it would be great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that worked beautifully. That's great. And those again, timeless songs. I mean, I I have particular love for that period of songwriting, but I think you know it was such a productive time. Um, uh, they were churning them out, weren't they, around about that time, you know, and all the Berlin, Gershwin, Porter, you know, that American songbook. Um, yeah, and sometimes in the music I'm involved with, you know, the folk music, um, I think they appreciate that, but they're more concerned mm -hmm. with the message, which mm -hmm. is fair enough. And what are you mm -hmm. saying in your song? I like that too. Mm -hmm. but I also like these things, um, you know, where rhymes are... Mm. Uh, Fit the rhythm perfectly. And with, you know, Irving Berlin, a frivolous little song that says so much. Yes. And and you're quite so right about that lightness, the way it just trips off the tongue when you sing them as well. Something we haven't spoken about you because um, we know you predominantly as a, a guitarist or composer on the guitar. But I know, and something I love about the performances that we've had here and, and when I've seen you elsewhere, is... Um, you're what I would call a dangerous performer because you're very spontaneous and um, I never know what you're going to literally pull out of the bag, which is usually an instrument. I'm going, I didn't know he played that, you know, um, from the, um, what do they call it? The um, diatonic accordion or the melodion that you have. I know. And your um, bagpipes as well. Um, also Welsh pipes, I believe if that's right, along, you know, hosts of things and your ukulele, which, you know, I, you know, I'm a ukulele fan. I believe you love them or hate them. Going back to um, speaking of um, when you uh, toured and travelled with Martin Alcock, I know he wasn't a big uke fan, <laughs> um, but then... Um, he, he kind of earned that right with how he played, didn't he? But, you know, that was when we were first... Um, introduced to you here and they were they were fantastic nights that we've spoken about um, in theatrical terms because I do think with that sort of all-round performer that you are um, as well as you know writing singing pulling things out of bags you know it really is a kind of theatrical experience. Interestingly usually uh, if I turn up at a folk club anywhere in Britain, you know, um, I mean, I could turn up at a folk club and I, um, it's difficult because they, I always get asked to sing. Mm -hmm. They see them there and say, oh, give us a couple of songs. And I go down to our local folk club in Newport. Yes. And sometimes I pop in. But I go to hear other people sing because I still like, and the standards vary. And yes. people 
No, the standards vary there. No one's no one's paying, you know, £35 a ticket. Yeah. I mean, you go in there and you get these people, sometimes not a great voice, can barely play the guitar, but they will sing a song I've never heard. Mm. And the way they sing it is just lovely because they believe mm. in what they're singing. And they mm. don't claim to be anyone that's any good. That's mm-hmm. the great thing about these mm-hmm. people. And they quite often say to me, are you singing tonight too? And I don't. Because there's two reasons. One, I don't want to take up anyone else's chance of, of mm-hmm. singing because these people want to do it. Mm. I've been doing it all my life and I want to hear what they've got to say. Mm-hmm. And um, also, it doesn't interest me as much. Let's let's link this in some other way. Let's use some stage work and maybe mm. a show that can be put up anywhere. Someone's mm-hmm. living room, a theatre and a folk club. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we've talked about props, using props, mm-hmm. which I do. I take things out of bags, you know, mm-hmm. memories and stuff that my mother used to have in her house. And mm-hmm. All things like that and, and mm-hmm. sing a song then about it. But, mm-hmm. uh, but that's what I'm interested in, which is why I always liked Flanders and Swan. Mm-hmm. They sang silly songs, but they did a show. Another one recently was, uh, she's sadly no longer with us now, God rest her soul, is Elaine Stritch. She oh, did yes. a one show where she's telling the story of her career. And then it was interesting. And then that interesting. interests me. Yeah, fantastic. And theatre, because you, you have those two sides. You have, you know, there, there you are with those tender ballads. And you have us cry in one minute and laugh in the next, you know, which the combination of that, um, you know, like, you know, performer like Lane Strict has that as well. When you have both those sides, you, you've you got the complete kind of um, tools for, for expressing anything on stage theatrically. In that sense, then, you know, now at the moment, the way we're all... Um, trying to do creative work, you know, bringing it right up into the how one develops work for the future. You know, we, we, we're online here that we've talked a bit about technology earlier and um, the pros and cons of it all. It will, it will never take the place of like a live performance, but we, we have to find these ways of um, making, making things um, while at the moment you know, we, we we can't, even on the folk clubs, you know, gathering people together in that way is so important. But there's a big question on how do we do it now <laughs> and how do we keep doing it and keep that going? You know, I don't know if what your thoughts are on that or... If... Well, if you folk clubs, I think they won't be around for many, you know, in, in like 10 years' time, be far fewer of them again. Because um, the audience are just getting old, um, and so with the it's um, that's the one thing. So mm. this type of live performance that I was used to as well is now mm. a different thing, and I think the live performances with young people, where there's a bar open and there's a band on, mm. sometimes quite a good band, um, they will go. They will mm-hmm. go there. People will always want to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, have a good time so that will happen I think the days um, when we have smaller venues mm-hmm. concert seating type things might be on their way out with the bigger venues fine mm-hmm. um, they'll always 
Mm. People will always want to go and see the famous people. Mm. Um, the only problem now is I know that Calam, the band I manage, mm-hmm. is supposed to have in April. They were coming, coming here to Malden. I, I know Easter time. Whole load of publicity. Oh. We had a team of like four people. Um, anyway, um, I've been advised that some of those venues that they were booked at, mm. it won't be a matter of just moving them, yeah, but possibly cancelling them because those venues will no longer exist. The, the I was going to say the buildings are so threatened, you know, and that that really is a a, a major difficulty because once they're gone, they're gone. You know, they won't be entertainment um, spaces, um, particularly maybe anymore. And and they have connection in community, and that place within. You cannot replace that kind of um, resource central to a community in the heart of a community. Part of the way forward, it won't solve the whole problem, mm. but part of the way forward, which one theatre is doing, which makes a lot of sense, is you do two houses. So when the concert starts at 7.30, yeah. it finishes at, say, um, you know, 8.30 mm. or perhaps a bit mm. later. There's a break of 20 or half an hour or whatever, and then this mm-hmm. next show starts. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a great idea because mm. with bands, the bands are there anyway. Mm-hmm. But I know certainly as well with Callan, they're all individual artists as well as a collective group, so you've got that option throughout the day to have those uh, solo spots, if you like, and the, work- and the workshops that go with them. And then the, the the collective performance, you know, in the evening, um, that's a long... I was going to say it's very like, you know, in theatre, you know, twice a week there's the matinee and the evening show anyway. So that's, you know, two shows work in a day. Um, so on, on that premise, there's no reason why that shouldn't work with a band either. But presumably because you have, yeah, the reduced audience in, in a space. So you're, you're only really getting as a... I don't know, management or promoter or whatever, you're you're only getting the one full house with the two shows. The other thing that, that I know what goes on or used to go on in, there's a cabaret up in the Montmartre, uh, well, Bruins Cabaret in, in Paris, Le Lapin Agile, and they had the system where in that evening the audience stayed put, but the artist moved around within the town. So you had, you saw three or four acts within a night but they just arrived and then they moved on to the next place and the next place. So you could uh, maybe have a collective thing between uh, three or four small venues where you might be. I I don't know how that would work financially, but um, it was a very exciting thing because they were literally running between places, you know, to get there. And there was like a resident pianist that played in between while the... And then the the curtain, when they arrived, the curtain opened and they had their intro. They came in, did their bit, and then off to the next place. So there was this energy that, that was, uh, you know, they were chanteurs, singers and uh, performers, that kind of... Uh, very exciting when, when um, I saw that. But if something like that could work, um, possibly. But it's still about having a certain amount of people in a confined space and all, all that that entails. At the moment, it's... I'm not sure, you know. 
Anyway, um, you've been more more than generous um, with your time and your whole commitment to the project, which I really hugely appreciate. Um, I don't know if you would like to give us a song at the end now. Just which one? What type of one shall I do? And so this is um, this is based on the old uh, ragtime players, like the Reverend Gary Davis, who became religious, you know, mm -hmm. and all. So, and I wrote it for a, um, a local chapel to sing. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't want to write the usual um, hymn style stuff, so I thought, um, but uh, I thought this would be a different way of doing it. Tell me the story of the angel and the glory and the wise man coming on down. Well, it must have been something good. I bet the joint was jumping in that neighborhood. Tell me the thing about the shepherd and the king about the glory and the love that shines. Won't you give me that rhythm and swing? Tell me about the king of kings. Gabriel came just to give out the news like a light show rather than task. Old King Harry, well, he loved the blues. He didn't like the sound of all that jazz. Tell me the story of the angel and the glory and the wise man coming on down. Won't you give me that rhythm and swing? Tell me about the king of kings. Is just 
Who couldn't feel better after hearing that? Who couldn't feel better about things generally? Well, that was great fun having Hugh Williams in the rocking chair. We never have any bother speaking with Hugh, as he always has so much to say. And boy, did we cover some ground there. From Bach to Bob Dylan, juggling fatherhood and work and every ordinary guitar in between. Hugh always has me laugh in one minute and cry in the next. And to hear his tender ballad for Bethan was an absolute treat. Huge thanks to Hugh for his wonderful songs, time and patience, as we time travel through various media, laughing and bantering. And to Rhys Timpson for producing and engineering the project, and also providing musical links, instigating and pulling it all together. I'm Nikki from Mac Theatre. You can find details on how to keep in touch with us, Hugh Williams and Rhys Timpson on the links below. If you'd like early reminders to hear about new episodes and who's in the rocking chair next, join our email list, follow us on social media, or subscribe to our podcast by pressing the follow button on whichever platform you're listening on. This way you'll be notified whenever a podcast is uploaded, and we have several more on the way. Thank you so much for listening and hope to see you again soon.